Want five-star service from a financial institution you can trust? Whitney Bank has you covered with expert business bankers and products for businesses of all sizes. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette by Short and Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with creative business consultant Aileen Bennett. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In the tech industry, there's always a next big thing on the horizon that's going to change everything. It happens so often that there's a name for this syndrome. It's called disruption. The next big disruption that everyone's talking about is driverless cars. While we don't know when a driverless car is actually going to pull up outside your house or whether anyone is ever going to have the courage to get in, the funny thing is that thanks to a much quieter revolution, we already have pilotless planes. You probably won't be getting on a flight to New York on a pilotless plane anytime soon, but unmanned aerial vehicles, or UAVs as they've come to be known, are hard at work on military and commercial flights. Here in Acadiana, Dakota Bartles is at the forefront of the UAV industry. Dakota's company, Aerobotics, is an aerial camera company. Aerobotics aircraft buzz around, checking on everything from oil rigs in the Gulf to wildlife in the swamp. Dakota, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you very much for having me. There's one kind of car that will probably never be driverless. A race car. Motorsports wouldn't quite be the same if the driver was sitting at the side of the track or even in another city driving the car by remote control. Motorsports is one of the most popular, most costly and most highly rewarded sports in the world because race car drivers are so highly skilled and daring. Unlike most other sports, a race car driver's life is on the line every second. You can count the race car drivers in Acadiana on one hand, and you can count the female race car drivers on one finger. Her name is Sarah Montgomery. Sarah drives a Mazda MX-5 Global Cup car, and she's race-winning and award-winning driver. Sarah, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Dakota, there are a lot of interesting facts about owning a commercial drone company. One, commercial drones are not cheap. They're around $50,000 each. Secondly, you need to be a qualified pirate to fly a drone. But perhaps the most interesting fact about the drone business is the most ironic, and that is it requires two people to fly a commercial drone, the pilot to fly it, and a camera operator to operate the camera. What exactly is the advantage of a pilotless aircraft if it in fact requires a pilot to fly it and a second person? Um, Well, really what it requires is a, a visual observer which in most cases we'll, we'll use as the camera operator. So um, what that allows you to do is have one dedicated pilot who's just always worried about the operation of the aircraft, and then one dedicated sensor operator or camera operator. So with the drones that we use, you're talking about you know, massive industrial zoom capabilities, infrared capabilities, so you need one dedicated person doing that, one dedicated person flying the same way you would in a manned aircraft. If we were doing the jobs in a helicopter, and I come from doing that in the past before the drones, Uh, you would do it the same way. You would have somebody, at least one person, dedicated on the sensor, one dedicated pilot at least. And so really, it's it's similar. 
uh, as far as the amount of people required, it's just the amount of expense required is significantly less. The risk to human personnel significantly less. Um, so it's technically still done and, and it operates similar. You just remove the human from the equation, keep them safe on the ground. So humans are still involved on a regular basis. Very That's much good to so. know. That. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not taking over the whole world just yet. Just yet. <laughs> yeah. I'm worried about that bit. Sarah, race car driving is one of those professional sports like boxing and golf where there are winners who make a huge amount of money and then there's everybody else. In most professional sports, athletes are paid to play whether they win or lose. Obviously, everyone likes winning better than losing, but when you absolutely have to win to make a living and there can only be one winner, it must make things pretty stressful. Does that kind of pressure distract from the pleasure of driving or is that what it's all about? Uh, I'd say the answer to that is both. It's definitely a very stressful thing. When you're in the race car, you, you know, have to keep the car in one piece, which is already stressful enough because the cars are super expensive to either replace or repair. Um, and just overall, you know, right now I'm still paying to play. So um, I'm not at the paid professional level yet. So I'm not necessarily having to stress about a contract that I need to keep up with, um, you know, to get paid if I'm like winning and things like that. I'm still have sponsors to pay for my racing right now, um, if that makes sense. So um, kind of at that level working to become a paid professional one day um, and then I'll have to worry about that stress. <laughs> both of you have, I've, I've read the research on you and both of you followed your passion. Dakota, you started with helicopters and kind of did that and Sarah I know that you went to a race can you tell us about that day the first race you saw um so my parents actually got free tickets to go to an IndyCar race in Texas um and you know none of us really had much interest in racing at all and you know because it was free tickets so we're like well let's go let's make a small vacation out of it and we took our motor home and went over there and uh they were sweet tickets so it was like in the a uh, glass box with food and drinks and things like that. And I was, I was nine or 10 at the time. So um, we get there and Danica Patrick, the female race car driver in NASCAR was actually racing in Indy at the time. And as a nine-year-old girl, I was obsessed. I loved everything. And then I was behind a glass window and I had to get down there. I wanted to hear the engines. I wanted to smell the fuel and the burning of the tires as cheesy as that sounds. Um, so we snuck our way down right to the fence and it was during qualifying and just the debris hit me in the face and it was like the most fabulous experience ever. Ever since then, I've wanted to be a race car driver. So it was just a fun family vacation that's turned into this massive <laughs> undertaking, you know, goal to be a race car driver. And so. Dakota, you fell in love with <laughs> helicopters early. Can you explain how that led to what you're doing now? I did. Um, I started working at the Lafayette Airport here when I was in high school. And then when I got a little closer, kind of into college, um, I started kind of cutting class to go fly ultralights with some guys down in um, kind of towards Maurice. It's a, a, a grass strip down there that doesn't exist anymore. But I uh, just kind of got hooked on it. You know, I don't have any relatives that were ever pilots or anything like that. Like I didn't Unless you were at an airport, I never really went to a lot of air shows as a kid. I just didn't know a lot about it, but I always was fascinated by it. I was always really interested in, in light, smaller aircraft. I just thought they were really neat. Kind of go-karts of the sky, I guess, if you will. Um, and that's what ultralights are. And I got really, really into that. And what, what really drew me to, to flying was I loved the, the math and the science behind the design of an, of an aircraft. But I just loved the view. I, not, not the 
you know, up high in a commercial airliner, 30,000 feet view, but I'm talking about 500 feet, 1,000 feet max, no doors, no windows, you're just wide open. Um, that just blew me away, and I thought if there was ever a way to share this view, capture this view with other people, if that was a job somehow, that would be the coolest thing in the world. You thought that early I on. I always thought that when I was younger. I was just like, if there's any way to figure out how to make that happen. So I did a lot of different things before we got to where we are now with drones, but just kind of always headed down that path, I guess, if you will. So. Both of you come from definitely following your passions, but with a business mind. And I know, Sarah, you still have a day job in, in marketing. How does race car driving affect your attitude towards your day job? And how does your day job affect your attitude towards race car driving? Well, you know, it obviously, as everyone would think, kind of sucks to have a day job because we want to be following our passion. But my passion and day job kind of go together. Um, so I do sales and marketing for a cooling suit company. Um, since in the race car it gets to be over 150 degrees and you're wearing six layers of fireproof clothing, um, you know, you can't even see one bit of skin. Um, you have to be completely covered in case of a fire. We have to wear um, these cooling suits. That's technically like a T-shirt that has tubing sewn onto it. I've seen those before. I yeah. always wondered, like, is that just water that runs through Yeah, those, so it's ice cold work? water. So how it works is we have um, a ice chest that sits in the passenger seat and it's filled with ice and just a little bit of water a little pump and it just yeah a little pump and it circulates ice cold water through the done. shirt while we're wearing it so it's kind of like a heated blanket i guess that's the same idea um, but that's our form of air conditioning because an air conditioner weighs too much to have it in the <laughs> race car so we have to gut that and uh so that's our only form of cooling and when you don't have that in Louisiana, you will pass out. <laughs> I believe that. So, yeah, so it's it's awesome. And I get to go to the different tracks while I'm racing and kind of promote the product as well. And it just kind of is a win-win for both of us. Dakota, tell us about some of your clients, the industries that now use drones. I know some of them will surprise us. Um, man, they kind of, they range. There's a lot of different energy companies. Like you'll see uh, wind turbine companies. You know, they had those giant blades. Those blades are, you know, they're spinning, and there's all kinds of different things dealing with the elements and the weather. But they'll get these hairline cracks, or there'll be fractures, and maybe a chip. I mean, anything from a natural weather phenomenon to a, a bird smacking into one, or you know, any, anything could happen. So the only way to really look at that now is put a guy in some rock climbing gear. Same thing goes to like an offshore platform. You know, you want to get up underneath it somewhere you can't just walk around the top and look at things. Guys have to put on like. Honestly, it's like rock climbing gear. And they, you know, rappel down or something like that just to go and look and take a camera and take a picture. And then with that camera photo, they'll go create a report and tell their boss or their supervisor about it. So I'm always trying to look for those, those angles where wh what is the point of putting a person there if he's literally risking her, her life, you know, to be in this compromising position, literally to take a picture. $100 point and shoot Best Buy camera. It's not necessary. It's just not necessary. And I've known too many people that have gotten hurt. Uh, the industry, not just the energy industry, but all sorts of industry. There's just no need to, to risk human life for, for certain things anymore. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's easy for me to Sarah say laughing. that. But yeah, it's, it's easy for me to say that. And you'd think it'd be the easiest thing in the world to sell. But, you know, people have been doing things the way they've done them for so many years. You come in with something new. Hey, I have a flying robot that can do that better. So it, it, there's definitely a gap with, of education to kind of teach people how it works and that it's safe and 
like that. So, and we, yeah. most of us still think of drones very much as kind of entertainment and, you know, yes. and definitely in race car driving, it's kind of, you know, it's a camera thing. It's, you know, so you could actually take your drone and follow Sarah around the track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. That'd we be could, really uh, cool. I mean, we have the type of technology that's available and what we can use versus what we're legally allowed to use as a commercial operator, not being a military entity. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty limited, but physically, the kind of stuff that we can pull off, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you can operate drones from an internet connection. Like, I, I could have one of my drones delivered to another state or another country and operate it here from the office in Lafayette. So you don't have to see the I mean, the legal, craft. but physically, I could do that. Legally, I need to be able to see the craft. Legally, I need to keep it within line of sight. Another thing is we can set up, thank you very much, we could set up, um, you know, a tracking mechanism. So we have, you know, the ability to, with video analytics, basically lock onto the image of your car, for example. Sarah, we're driving around the track and there's your car. I can recognize that it's a moving object on a still object that would be the track. And with video analytics, we could decipher, okay, this is moving at X amount of miles per hour. Let's lock onto that. Let's follow it. And then on all three angles, so from altitude, airspeed, we can lock on and say, I want to remain always 20 feet away and always 10 feet above your car mm -hmm. and match your speed. You might outrun me with your race car. I imagine you probably would, but some <laughs> of my drones are pretty quick now. Yeah, <laughs> I bet they are. So, <laughs> What's it, an average speed for you, Sarah? Average speed is probably, depending on the track, I'd say 70 to 90 miles an hour. Maybe top speed being like 120-ish, 130. That's a perfect example of where a helicopter would be used versus a drone. So I've yeah. done a tremendous amount of work at the track in New Orleans. Yeah. That, uh, in Avondale, you know, the, yeah. the track Nola, they have out there. Uh -huh. So we used to do a lot with the helicopter, but because you can go a lot faster. You yeah. Know, they have the different Challenge yeah. Cup Ferrari races that they yep. do. The uh -huh. Lexus guys came out and did a thing with their LFA supercar. And yeah. The drone can't keep up for that. So that's when you pull the helicopter out and say, nice. let's get it. Yeah, I do a lot of teaching there. Oh, really? I'm there all the time. So you teach race car driving? I do. To who? So um, I work for <laughs> a company that's called SCCA, which is like the best starting and pro-level racing anyone can be involved in. Um, and they have an event called Track Night in America in New Orleans and all over the country. But it's everyday people. You know, if you own a Corvette and you want to bring it out on track, you just got to bring a helmet or you can rent one and... I'll teach you how to drive. Are you in a VW Beetle? Can I? <laughs> yes. No, seriously. I mean, anything like we had one person bring a minivan one time. I mean, like, seriously, whatever you <laughs> run, what you brung is what we call it. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's just it's cool to get people out of their everyday work environment and teach them how to go fast in their streetcar and learn the limits of it in case it's raining outside one day and they get into a skid they kind of know how to catch and things like that so yeah it's really cool to teach them in their own car if that makes sense so yeah. Sarah I have to ask are you brave in your everyday life like a sales call is easy for you because you're you're obviously brave to do what you do and fear is kind of a factor you can deal with so does that run over into everything else you do um some things I think like uh, sales calls, I, I struggle with. I just, I hate sales calls. I'm good at them. I just, I can't do it. It's not my thing. Um, now, anything on the computer to make something look pretty, I'm good at. Um, I guess that's not really bravery, though, but... Um, I, Computers yeah. can be scary. Yeah. <laughs> Very intimidating. But, like, I don't know if I would go skydiving. 
Um, it would be really hard for me to do that. But we were talking with my friends the other day about being uh, an astronaut. I would do that in a heartbeat. You know, just, I don't know. I, I guess I think that's wonderful. Skydiving scary, but being an astronaut, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because you're strapped in and I don't know. <laughs> I don't Dakota, know. Dakota, I'm guessing you don't have a problem with heights. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I think as I've gotten a little bit older and I've, I've been around aviation a little bit longer, I've seen a lot of people get hurt. So I think it just comes with, you know, you get a little older, maybe a little smarter. But uh, I mean, when I <laughs> not there yet. <laughs> when I first did the helicopter stuff, I mean, I lived in a house with skydiving instructors and base jumpers. These guys would sneak out of our house at night and jump off of downtown buildings in New Orleans, and then I would pick them up in the truck and oh, we would fun. run out of there. Blood. We'd take the helicopter out to a job, and they would jump out of it in the morning on the way to work, kind of thing. I mean, it was it was wild, it was wild wow, back then. That's kind of cool. I just imagine but, that's their commute. It's like okay, we're over my building. I'll yeah. jump out here, and then yeah. just right on the lakefront, right on the south side of. Uh, Lake Pontchartrain there, you can, I mean, it's pretty wide open over there. Ah. So would you drive a race car? Are you generally so, daring, would you? I've never had an opportunity to drive a race car. Um, I'm kind of an aggressive driver. That doesn't necessarily, that doesn't qualify me at all to be a race car driver. <laughs> I, I would have a blast doing it. I mean, I loved flying fast and low yeah. and, and chasing the cars. I it thought is. that was a lot of fun. Yep. Um, but I've, I've never had an opportunity, but I would love to try. Even I would even ride with somebody and just see what that's like. That sounds like a blast. So funny thing is I've given a few people rides in my race car before actually like at nola and a few other local tracks my dad rode with me one time and one time only and he his experience is how he explains it is you're coming up to a wall at over 100 miles an hour and you're thinking to yourself oh my gosh why is she not breaking brake come on and she's still flat and she's like okay it's time to brake hold that wall is getting close it's time to brake and I'm still flat and then I finally slam on the brakes to where the back end of the car comes up and you hear the tires squealing and then you turn the car in and I, he tried to video the whole thing it was the funniest video you could hear him kind of like you can actually hear his breathing like start to pant almost and his video camera actually just dives straight down to his feet because he's like holding on for dear life like I cannot believe I'm letting my daughter drive me around why is my daughter scaring me like this and the best thing is i wouldn't even push in the car that hard <laughs> <laughs> listen to that dad <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so it was so great and he hasn't ridden with me since but it's it's like a thrilling experience to ride versus drive um i ride with people every once in a while people i really trust it is so fun oh gosh i just get a huge thrill so both of you have been successful so far following your passions. And I know there's been a lot of hard work. But when you hear people say things like, well, just follow your passions and you'll never work a day in your life or find what you love and oh, everything will be easy. What is your answer to that? You want to take it ain't going to happen. Yeah, no. There is so much work involved, especially for sponsor end. Um, I know you don't really have, I guess, sponsors all that much, but... I mean, to race an MX-5 Cup Series for one year is around 120 grand. You know, it's not cheap. <laughs> I can't just write a check for that. So it's constantly sponsor hunt. Um, it's a business. I have I have like three jobs, and racing is the biggest one. Even though I get paid nothing from it. You know, it's it's a full time job. So it's like technically having three full time jobs that I do, but only getting paid from one. You know, so it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. If you want it, you have to work hard for it. So, no doubt. I mean, I think that's wonderful advice. I don't think anyone should stop at all saying that to people. Yeah, especially, exactly. You know, especially when you're young, you, you almost can't hear that enough. That's great to hear that. Mm -hmm. 
But it, she's absolutely right. I mean, it's it's so much more work than you could ever even possibly dream. You will deal with so many pitfalls, so many um, failures, so many things are going to go wrong, so many yep. things going to be out of your control, and you have to kind of learn how to deal with it and navigate that. Somebody once told me that the road to success is paved with failures, and I was like, that makes a lot of sense. To yep, me exactly. Even even today, like, you know, you're kind enough to say what you said. We're successful in our in where we are, and. I still feel like there's so much to do all the time, you know? Like, I don't feel <laughs> like we're at the point where we got it now. Okay, that's all good. I'll hire a bunch of people and they'll figure it out. No. Every single time I have to think about bringing another person on or handing off a project to somebody else, it's just like, you just you take what you have and it just keeps building. I don't feel like you ever reach a point of, okay, here's the pinnacle. We're here now, you know? Um, it's just a perpetual thing. It just constantly improves and I think that's part of the driving force is, you know, you always want it to be better. You always want it to be bigger. And How many people do you employ at the moment? Uh, I mostly contract labor for different pilots, uh, sensor operators, things like that. Right now on my team, I've got about 10 people that are, you know, mostly full-time at the moment. And as we expand, depending on seasons, like inspections are kind of seasonal. Like right now with the offshore inspection type stuff, right now it's really, really you know, booming and picking up. So we'll get really busy, and then in the fall, things like that, it might slow down. But maybe not this year, because all this crazy weather, it's probably gonna be a bad hurricane season. That means a lot of offshore inspections for us. So um, you never really know. So I always have, I, I say I've got about five people that I always have, pilots and sensor operators who are trained, who are ready to go, who I kind of have in my back pocket. They know if I call them, they're ready to roll. So training people is a, a lot of work. Um, I'm lucky enough that Lafayette, throw them a little plug, the Opportunity Machine here in Lafayette, they have been tremendously helpful to us. There's a training room, a conference room. The city and the state helps us find people, helps us find qualified people to help us train. Um, they even have a deal on the hotel next door. We need to bring people in from out of state. So that's been a huge help. If I was trying to do that in a different city, not, not in Lafayette, I would definitely be paying a lot of money for those kind of things, and the city helps out with a lot of that. So. Yeah, it's amazing how to be successful as an individual, you have to have a lot of people around you helping. Yeah, I didn't do any of this by myself. Yeah, and the same sure. with you, Sarah. It's not just you in a race car. Like, How does your race car get to... I know this is a really basic question. How does your race car get from track to track? So um, when you're actually on the professional level <laughs> of racing, um, my sponsors help me pay for um, a team. So I'm on a team now to where I literally just have to fly and arrive at the track and my car's there. So my team literally preps and travels with my car everywhere to every racetrack we go to and my car is ready to go. And I have a, a pit crew if I have a flat tire um, during a race, things of that sort. So my team is always there to help me out. And I think when what you do, your team is very visible, so you're reminded of them. And in the rest of us, you know, you, we say we're self-employed or that we have our own companies, but equally we have that team around us, and I think right. that's essential to anyone's success. Exactly. I mean, without a qualified racing team, you won't be successful at all, so you kind of have to pay a little bit more to be successful, but it's worth it in the end because you meet a lot of new people and you're in, like, a family environment and... Uh, being successful in winning races, you know, so it's definitely worth it. It's just kind of expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you get your sponsors? 
sales calls, literally, uh, just knocking on doors. Um, I was very fortunate, and the thing that kickstarted me in pro racing was I had a conversation with this guy. I don't even remember the conversation. Um, I was just kind of telling him my life story and what I was doing at the time, and then he called me the next week, and I didn't even remember him, and uh, said he wanted to help me out and sponsor me to get into the pro level racing, and I'm like, like bawling because it's so expensive and how could someone believe in me so much after a five minute conversation you know i don't even remember the poor guy you know it's just and now we're like greatest of friends and it's just so funny he laughs at that all the time uh i can understand how people <laughs> believe in you after a fight can't yeah, yeah dakota can as well we've been with you for 20 minutes and we believe in you so yeah well thanks guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's always a hunt but uh definitely a lot of sales calls and begging and trying to prove yourself, I guess, if that makes sense. Sarah, Dakota, both of you are involved in businesses that propel objects at high speed through the air and along a racetrack. They are both far from traditional Acadiana occupations, but there's no doubt that you both embody a bold fearlessness that typifies the spirit of business and of life itself around here. I'm not actually authorized to speak on behalf of everyone in Acadiana, but I don't think anyone would object to me saying that we're proud of what both of you have achieved and we're looking forward to your continued success. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thanks for, Thanks having, for us. having us. We yeah, appreciate we had a good it. Time. <laughs> the chicken's delicious. It is really good. <laughs> <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been race car driver Sarah Montgomery and Dakota Bartles, founder of Aerobotics. You can find out more about Dakota's flying machines and Sarah's life behind the wheel by following the links on our website, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette. Cafe V is open Monday to Friday for lunch and six nights a week for dinner with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our researcher is Anne Christian. Our theme song, Encore Mission Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana and Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine and Dr. Blake Escaday. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken by Gwen O'Quam. You can get this show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsacadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calais Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is pet friendly with free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Aileen Bennett. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to meeting you next week around the table here at Café Vermilionville for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Schuert & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Want five-star service from a financial institution you can trust? Whitney Bank has you covered with expert business bankers and products for businesses of all sizes. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC.